Hello and welcome to the strangest gig I've ever played. True tales from the studio and the stage. I'm your host, Chris J. Norwood. It's the podcast where we hear the true stories about all the weird, wild, wacky, terrible, and or amazing gigs we have to take in order to make it as freelance and gigging musicians. On the podcast with us today is one Salim Narala, legendary Dallas musician, singer-songwriter, and producer. He's got a lot of great stories, so let's get to it. Well, Happy New Year! Hope you all had an enjoyable holiday season in the warm embrace of kith and kin. Again, my name is Chris J. Norwood, and this is the Strangest Gig Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, welcome. Hope you'll stick around. I hope you'll check out the previous episodes. If this is now your 12th time listening to us, thank you so much. And if you consider yourself a fan, I'd much appreciate it if you would help spread the word, tell your friends about our podcast, and get them to listen. If you're a musician yourself and you have your own strange gig stories, please don't hesitate to reach out, send me a message, and uh, let's get you on the podcast. Tell your story to the world. And follow us on Instagram at The Strangest Gig. You'll get updates about upcoming episodes. On the podcast with us today is one Salim Narala. Salim is a longtime Dallas musician, singer, songwriter, and producer. Been a part of such legendary Dallas Denton bands as The Happiness Factor, The Narala Brothers, The Travoltas. He also has a really long, distinguished solo career. As a producer, working out of his home base studio, Pleasantry Lane, Narala has won the Dallas Observer Music Awards Best Producer Award seven times in a row. He's produced such bands as The Damn Wells, The Death Ray Davies, and one of my favorite bands, The Old 97s. Salim has produced three albums with the 97s, 2007's Blame It on Gravity, The Grand Theater Volumes 1 and 2, and their 2014 album Most Messed Up. Salim's new solo record, titled A Nuclear Winter, comes out in May of 2023. It is, as Salim describes, and I'm paraphrasing here, the most pain-in-the-ass record he's ever made. Co-produced with the great Marty Wilson Piper from the great Australian band The Church, it is a phenomenal record, and we get into that and the process behind making it. So without further ado, here is Salim Narala. So, yeah. So, Salim, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, I'm super excited for, that you're here. Thanks and, for having uh, me over, Chris. I'm already like marveling at all your cool guitars and your Beatles lunchbox and you, uh, and that retro suitcase with your name on it and the drawing. It looks really official, it's doesn't super it? Super cool. And your electric piano. That's a Fender Rhodes, right? That's right. So the cool thing about this is my, my wife was a band director when uh -huh. we first got married and she was teaching at a school, a little tiny rural school in kind of Southeast Texas called Kemp. Cool. And I went there one day and I was like helping her kind of get ready for the school year and i walked into the uh the instrument room where they store all the instruments and yeah. this was sitting like on top ah. of the instrument cubby it's just in the back somewhere. that's like a dream that's exactly like a musician's yeah. dream and i was asking like the head band director i was like so what's the deal with this thing and he was like well i mean you know they bought it back in the 70s when they were trying to do a jazz band kind of thing and it just sat up there for decades wow. and i was like well i'll tell you what i'll 
you know, record a couple concerts for y'all if you we just make a trade. And there he's like, yeah, sure. Just, Unbelievable. Yeah, man, it's been great. Wow. And it's I've never had anything like that happen. Great in tune and yeah. plays really well and comes with the, the sustain pedal, which you almost never see on these yeah. roads anymore. It's unbelievable. Well, cool. I was eyeing that as well as, as all the other stuff in here. Thank but, you, man. Yeah. So nice tell me, uh, tell, tell me about your current gig, what you're working on currently. I know you got a new album coming out, coming pretty soon. I do, but there's, there's so many exciting things happening. I, that's great. I, Let's hear I, about all of them. Well, uh, so I have a little record label called happiness, a record label. And it's a great name for a record label. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, and the, one of the things I'm most excited about is about a year ago, I discovered this band called Machine Translations. Uh-huh. I was buying an, uh, a record by an Australian artist named Emma Rusek. By the way, for anybody listening, if you haven't heard Emma Rusek, she's like Beatles good. It's R-U-S-S-A-C-K. And she's on an Australian label called Spunk. She live in Australia? She lives in Australia. Okay. She's on an Australian label called Spunk, which is kind of like the sub pop of Australia. Okay, cool. And I was buying her record and I saw this other album cover. I've ever since I was a kid, I I I love buying music just based on the vibe I get off yeah. art. And and it's kind of something that I've gotten out of now because don't browse record shops the way I used right. to. Right. But I saw this album cover. And I just I just bought it. It was by Machine Translations. Never, yeah. Never heard their music. Didn't look them up on Spotify, nothing. Just ordered the record. Yeah. And I spent about a year listening to this one record called O, oh, which it turns out it's their last record. It's their latest oh, okay. record. Yeah. And at some point after listening to it for about a year, one day I suddenly got the great idea <laughs> to to explore their back catalog. I yeah. don't know why it took me a year, sure. but I thought, I listen to this record all the time, and I couldn't really find much information about them, but what I ended up finding out, a bunch of interesting things. The singer Greg Walker is like, he's been making records since the late 90s. He was born in the same year I was born, 1967, which is also the year Jeff Tweedy was born, also the year that my best friend and one of my favorite songwriters, Billy Harvey, was born. Okay, yeah. So we're all 67 babies. Yeah. And he's basically the Australian version of Wilco. Okay, very cool. We are all basically writing the same songs. Right. We all kind of have similar voices. It's it's weird. Yeah. Uh, so I started ordering Machine Translation CDs from like the Netherlands and wherever else I could find them. They were hard to get. And I stumbled across this record that he put out in, I think, uh, sometime around 2008 or nine. It's called 7-7. Okay. And it blew me away. Very cool. The pr- production, the guitar playing, the writing, the singing, everything. Greg has ended up becoming a, a pretty successful producer in Australia. Oh, wow. It's worked with Paul Kelly, among other... Paul Kelly's like the Bruce yeah. Springsteen of Australia. And... um Anyway, I eventually reached out to Greg and and I got his email through the Spunk guys. And now we're in, in the process of, for the first time ever on vinyl, releasing a double vinyl version of 7-7. First time ever. Oh, cool. 
uh, with liner notes and That's bonus great. tracks. And Are you going to do like a, a remix or? No, just it's the same us. mix. Yeah. It's just he's found like eight killer bonus tracks. Wow. And we've sort of gotten to be friends because uh, we zoom, we've been zooming about this. Yeah. And it's it's I'm crazy excited about it. And and they don't really have it. like people in America just don't know about them. Sure. And then the other project I'm really excited about, and it's another weird Australian link. Yeah. Is do you know who Marty Wilson Piper is? So I mean, I've other than you know I've looked up you know when you sent me the one sheet and I knew a little bit about him from the church and, yeah. and that sort of thing. But yeah. So he was in the church, yeah. which is an iconic Australian band. Yeah, yeah. I started listening to the church way back in the eighties because I was always really into what I call sons of the Beatles bands. Yeah. Uh, groups that were ultimately rooted in gu- guitar playing yeah. and, and kind of, kind of a classicist approach. Right. And in the eighties, we know there were bands like that, but there was also so much other, stuff happening with synthesizers and drum yeah. machines and but the church and marty in particular when i first saw marty play he is he's known he's like the peter buck of australia because yeah he's he plays a 12 string rick and backer which is the brand cool. the beatles made famous yeah old ac30 vox amplifiers just like the beatles can't go wrong and even though the church is definitely not does not sound like the beatles like they're Again, a throwback to that. So fast forward to now, about four years ago, uh, I got to host Marty playing a show at my recording studio, and that came through Bucks Burnett. Do you know yeah, Bucks yeah, Burnett? Yeah. So yeah, Bucks yeah. Burnett is sort of a, a Dallas, Dallas icon, legend yeah. now. He's had 14 records for many, many years. And uh, I guess a lot of people don't know this, but Bucks was responsible for m- me becoming a professional musician i yeah i didn't know that either so the the short of it is and this has to do with marty is i went to school at unt mm-hmm. and way back in like 1990 ish i was in bucks's 14 records and i walked up to the checkout with a with two records tucked under my arm and I swear I'm not an Australian. Man. Like I listen to all kinds of music, but this yeah, yeah, is all Australian right now. Yeah, yeah. But it was the Go Betweens, okay, w- um, which is a, another amazing Australian yeah, band. Yeah. And the Church, and Bucks looks at me and goes, "Oh, I love those two bands. Are you in a band?" <laughs> he just had that and look. I yeah, I was growing my hair out. I guess I kind of did. And and I went, "Oh, of course, yes, I'm in a band." <laughs> so well, did you have a demo tape? I have a friend who has a record label. And I, I raced home, ran into the, uh, our apartment, told my brother, the guy at the record shop wants our demo tape. <laughs> and that demo tape that we brought back to Bucks eventually led to us getting signed to Dragon Street Records. Yeah, which that's was incredible. Label that Tripping Daisy was on. Right, right. And the Knicks, and we, we didn't nearly have the success they had. But, yeah, yeah. But so that was the big, it, it's, it's kind of come for cir- uh, full circle because Bucks in 2018 say hey marty wilson piper is looking for a show and 
Will you host at your recording studio? Whoa, cool. So how did Bucks know Marty Wilson Piper? Bucks was part of the first wave of church fans in Dallas that they saw him at a place called the Hot Club. Okay. Which was apparently on upper, it was before my time because I was raised in El Paso. But apparently in the early 80s, there was a place called the Hot Club, which is on Upper Greenville. Okay. And Bucks was there the first time the church played. Wow. and, And they've been friends with Marty and Kilby, the singer, uh, ever since yeah so bucks connected us marty played my studio we hit it off right away we're b- both born in may he's may 7 on may 3rd and he just loves loves music yeah eats sleeps dreams music kind of how i am and and we just we just hit it off so, i'm may i'm may 21st by the way oh you are yeah well <laughs> there you go there yeah <laughs> We're both wearing the Chuck Taylor exactly, and, and almost the same outfit. It's, a, it's so. our uniform. <laughs> it is. Uh, so, th- what what I'm working, what ended up happening was, we invited Marty back to Texas to do some touring, and also for him to co-produce a record of mine. Okay, yeah. And that record ended up being called a Nuclear Winner. Yeah. And it was supposed to come out in 2020. Yeah. We all know what happened. Sure. <laughs> we won't speak of it. But but I just thought I can't I can't release this record until Marty can come back. Yeah. We can have some fun. We can play some shows. And so I've waited until now to finally release it. And he's he's back and we're doing dates, Texas dates in January. We're playing New Year's Eve in yeah. Dallas. And we've also he's letting me produce and curate a best of marty wilson piper acoustic album oh fine. which i'm like over the moon about. are you gonna do that at your place or? yeah we've already started oh you already it. started that's great we've already started it and 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 uh and paul Averett is helping us a little bit that's with great. that because paul, paul has known marty a long time longer than me uh because marty helped bucks and paul with the Velaries record mm-hmm. uh because his his childhood friend and producer Darren Mason yeah. helped with the Valaris. So it's just it's just all been gloriously fun. I'm so excited about That's great. Just Marty finally being here with Olivia, playing shows finally again. This record that's been like an albatross. Yeah. Yeah. It's just all of it is I'm I'm pretty much giddy. That's so great. So what was it like to co produce with I mean somebody you've kind of looked you know, listened to their music, look kind of looked up to for a long, long time, what was that like? It was really hard because I had the voice of the 19-year-old me going, this isn't good enough yet. This isn't yeah. good enough. If, you're, if Marty Wilson Piper is going to be on your record, it needs to be better. Yeah. And it just, at some point, thankfully, I got to a point where I was able to go, okay, this is good enough. Yeah. Did you mix also, or did Marty? It's a long story. It, it, this album is like the most convoluted <laughs> because of the pandemic, because sure, of sure. other things that happened. But but it. I was just talking earlier to my friend John Dufalo. I asked him, you know, what's the biggest pain in the ass album you've ever done? And he was telling me his version. But this album, without a doubt, is yeah. has been th- the toughest album. So what ended up happening eventually is we had like three or four different mixers try to mix songs Mm -hmm. and I wasn't happy with the mix. I tried mixing it in my studio. I sent mixes to other 
mixers that I won't name. <laughs> sure, sure. And and then finally, I consulted with my friend Billy Harvey. He mm. lives in Nashville, and Billy has pretty much been my my musical partner and yeah. collaborator. He's my be- one of my best friends, and and I just sent him the mixes that we'd done as a, like, hey, just give me some feedback. And his feedback was, they sound good, but it still kind of sounds like a demo. Yeah. You should have my friend Joe, whatever, who mixed the whatever famous band he quoted, mix it. Yeah. So I said, okay, let's have Joe. I forgot his last name. <laughs> Joe never got back in touch with us. Okay. So one day I just rang Billy up and said, hey, man, would you just try mixing a song? Yeah. And, and we had never, ever talked about him mixing anything. Yeah. He's just like me. He sends things off to be mixed. Yeah. And his mix was so good. I just ended up asking him to mix the other 17 songs (laughs) that had been sort of languishing on the hard drive. And so, well, it sounds fantastic. You sent me a, like, I listened to the the link you you sent it. It sounds great. I've listened to it a bunch. Billy Harvey, man. Well, and you and Marty, Marty Wilson, it's been, it's really great record. Thank you. I'm excited for other people to hear it. Uh, Well, I, yeah, I I've lost all perspective. I do I, I do know that the guitar section on the record is really special because you've got Joe Reyes hanging out mainly in the left speaker, and then Marty, and Joe is Joe is a friend of mine who lives in San Antonio yeah. and plays in a band called Buttercup that I love yeah. and also produced years ago. Uh, but Joe and Marty as a electric guitar section is is just sick. Yeah. So. Uh, that's a pretty good duo. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good duo. So hopefully I didn't let them down um, with the songs. But that's another thing. I was really feeling a lot of pressure. Sure. That I've got this great band and yeah. and it's it's got to be good enough. And who played drums? John Dufalo. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. But then Jason Garner also played drums on okay. two songs. He played on a song called The Sound of Suffering, Sound of Suffering and a song called Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. With He does this really frenetic Keith Moon yeah, type of drumming that I've met very few people in my life that can do it. So it's kind of what we did. We hadn't made a record since 2011's mm-hmm. Hit Parade. Yeah. And that's what we did on that record too, where Jason played drums on a couple of the frenetic yeah. songs. And then you recorded at, at a place in Nashville, right? Welcome to 1979. Yeah. What was yeah. that like? It, I've been intrigued by that studio for a while. It seems like a really cool place. It was. We went to tape, which is cool because yeah. I haven't gone to tape in forever. Mm-hmm. And it was it was super rapid fire because we, we only had, I think, like five full days. Just with everybody's schedules. Yeah. You know how it is. Like sure. Grown-up schedules and <laughs> yeah. people with kids. And I was the worst offender of that. Yeah. And, and But we just set up they have enough space where you can set up in different rooms with visual contact and track as a band. Mm -hmm. And so we did a lot of that. Yeah. We just, we just quick, like bashed it out. Nick Lowe style. Yeah. And it sounds (laughs) great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And this, the studio is cool gear, cool vibe, cool gear, great vibe. And, the, and it has a sound that I couldn't have gotten in my studio. Yeah. Like once I was back in Dallas and trying to add songs, mm-hmm. which which I, which there is a couple songs on the record that were not yeah. tracked in Nashville. One of them is called "You Are Beautiful." Mm-hmm. I really realized that like 
the sound of the of Welcome to 1979. It's a thing. Oh, for sure, yeah. And I couldn't. I could get. I, could I couldn't see that. match it. The drum so, sounds, especially, I would bet. Yeah, they're kind of aggressive. Yeah, it, it, it was like I don't get aggressive drum sounds like that in my studio. Yeah. I just can't. That's cool. So that's very cool. So the the album comes out when it doesn't come out till May, but but I'm also I I've adapted this thing uh, a way of releasing records now. I'm sure you know of this guy, David Lowry. Yeah. And David Lowry was in a van called Campers. It's Van or Von Van Beethoven. I think yeah. it's Van Beethoven. Mm-hmm. Camera Van Beethoven. And da- David Lowry has been very outspoken about don't give your music away. Yeah. And I read something by him that kind of changed the whole way that I look about really mm-hmm. look at releasing music. And so what I'm doing is uh, I did a Kickstarter, mm-hmm. which was incredible and pre-sold the record and a bunch of other stuff but That's then great. i'll move over to to Bandcamp, okay which i'm going to do next it'll be available strictly on Bandcamp for all the people who missed kickstarter yeah and i'll sell it at the upcoming tour dates and then by the t- once i've exhausted all of that yeah in may it will come out for free to all the streaming services okay so that's kind of what david lowry is has been preaching and that's what I've been doing. Have you've done that with other records? This is the first one that I'm really Yeah. Cuz I've cuz the last couple of years have been weird cuz I had a box set called The World's Weakest Man mm-hmm. that only came I kind of did it, but I didn't do the Kickstarter. I did it where it came out on Bandcamp yeah. only and it's still only on Bandcamp. Yeah. So it's, it's okay, kind of yeah. different, but but I it's only something that you can really do if you've been around a while and you yeah. kind of have a fan base. That makes sense. It doesn't really work for new artists, okay. unfortunately. Yeah, I think I new artists are still kind of stuck just giving it away. Giving their stuff away and hoping yeah. to develop a fan base. Hoping. Yeah. But I've kind of found that this, even if you like blow up your numbers with videos and other things, mm-hmm. like it just doesn't translate to like real one-on-one connection people sure. writing or saying or buying mm-hmm. merch or saying hey I li- i'm so-and-so and i live in wisconsin and i really like your record like there's just no it's just like the void right you see the numbers tick 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 but this there's actually yeah. no connection with anybody and i i don't like that for I, sure i really value like knowing shout out to dave paulus in portage michigan yeah <laughs> you know yeah and marie Popacek, shout out in Pittsburgh, yeah, Pennsylvania. You got, yeah, and, you, you develop an actual fan base. Yeah, and you become friends and mm-hmm. like and they'll come visit me when they're when they're in Texas. That's and cool. That's what I love. I don't care about like forty three thousand people. Yeah, a million Spotify hits. Million yeah, people that whatever. I don't know and they yeah, whatever. I always think that's funny that like, you know, there's so many young bands that have like, you know, a million spins on you know, a million hits on Spotify or yeah. whatever, but they can't get 30 people out to a show. You know what I mean? There's just, it, it just seems to be the way of a, a, a lot of, it's totally and that's not, and, and I don't mean to, you know, blanket statement, you know, every young band or put a, well, you know, put a black cloud over Spotify in general, but, but I've seen well, I'm going to back you up on this. Okay. I have a little listening room called galactic headquarters, which is next door to my studio. Yeah. It's, it only fits about 30, 35 people. And I'm not going to name names, but I had a couple songwriters play there 
And one of these guys has a song on Spotify, 43 million streams. Wow. 430,000 monthly listeners. Yeah. And three people came and saw it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so there you go. There were more than three people there. There was like another 10 of my friends. Sure. But there were three for this yeah. person. So that just kind of proves backs the point. Up your yeah. point. <laughs> That's yeah. great. So I want to ask you now, you've produced a couple of my absolute favorite bands, the old, the old 97s, and then also the Damwells. Ah, cool. And then, so what was it like working with the old 97s? Uh, well, I, I love the old 97s. Uh, they're all friends of mine. I knew Murray uh, the least when we first mm-hmm. started recording, when we did Blame It on Gravity, but I, I got to know him and he's such a sweetheart. And I'd actually known Ken the longest yeah. because- when my brother and I moved up here from El Paso many, many years ago, Ken was so our drummer at the time. His name was Richard Holden. Yeah. And is still. He's he's still alive. And uh, Ken was like, lived in this. It wasn't a frat house because it was more like the John Belushi, the animal house. Okay, yeah. They kind of had a, that going on. Yeah. And Ken was just the dude that was always passed out on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't in the old 97s, wasn't you know yeah and uh so that's what i'm i knew him before old 97s and then i met rhett and murray later because rich (laughs) rich worked on a sprout farm okay and he used to deliver pot (laughs) he would go down to dallas and make run to whole foods and drop off the sprouts and then he would go see some of his yeah clients Uh, i and uh (laughs) And I used to be so bored that sometimes I would just ride on the the, the routes with with yeah. Rich. And one day we we came down and never forget we came down to the Whole Foods that used to be on Lower Greenville mm-hmm. that now is like the Tragic Sam's. Yeah. And then we were, we ended up over at this house and when we went in the living room there was this long haired dude with with round glasses playing like a sitar <laughs> and it was Murray Hammond. Yeah. And then Rhett had really long hair, and that was, the, and they were so nice. That's great. And that was the first time I met him. But I didn't really get to be friends with Rhett until like many years later, probably ten years later. I only knew him as an acquaintance, mm-hmm. but he was always nice. Yeah. And when I got the call from him, just out of the blue, if I would, if I would come out to L.A. and play bass. His his album, The Instigator, yeah, just so out on Electric, yeah. John Bryan producing is one of my favorites. And he wanted to know if I'd be in his band. That's great. So that was really the beginning. That was like, I think that was like 20, uh, oh, three. it was like 03. Yeah, yeah. So were you known, like, were you known to him as a bass player? Why why did he call you specifically to play bass? This comes from Ken. So Ken is, is actually, have you read the Malcolm Gladwell book about... I'm going blank, but it's the outliers. Uh, it's not that one. It it's uh, is it called the tipping point or no? I'm I'm familiar with. It. I haven't read uh, it. Anyway, though, yeah. there's a book where he talks about uh, connectors, uh-huh. and I realized all of these friends in my life that I'd I'd never classified as a connector. Yeah, and Kim Bethay is is for sure like one of the top yeah. ones, and he connected me with another great friend that I didn't know. 
but I've been friends with him now forever, Robert Jenkins, mm -hmm. who's actually Rhett's buddy. And Robert is in like several old 97 songs. Yeah. So yeah. Robert's dad. And Robert, sure, sure, anytime yeah. there's Robert's reference, I think he's in three songs. So, so Ken went to Robert in like 98 with a copy of the Nerala Brothers record. This is the legend has it. <laughs> and he slapped down this CD at their lunch and said, you need to listen to this and you need to sign Salim's band Happiness Factor. Uh -huh. And then I heard from Robert, who did end up signing Happiness Factor. He had a record label called Summer Break. Yeah. And Rhett was consulting with Robert about, he really wanted to have a Dallas-based band okay. when, yeah. when he toured The Instigator. And what I've heard, whether it's true or not, is Robert told Rhett, Without blinking, you well, you need to call Salim Naral and don't ask him to audition because he won't. Just ask him if he'll. <laughs> of course, I would have. Yeah, I, I was working at CD World at the time. My band was going nowhere. I had no money. I would, you know, I would have gladly auditioned. Yes. But what I what at least Robert told me was his version was just call Salim and ask him. And and that's what happened. I got this call out of the blue from Rhett. That's great. Uh, and that was it's the beginning of a really incredible friendship yeah it's been uh, great. I, I love and respect him a lot yeah blame it on gravity and man i i spun the hell out of that that record cool when it came out i loved it well i i'm also really proud of most messed up yeah which was the record the the last one we did uh and that was it was a messed up time and the but the record really it's such a great rock and roll record to me and Having Tommy Stinson from The Replacements on it too just yeah. added to the the whole chaos sure. of, of everything. It's funny, like sometimes like the the seemingly simple like rock and roll records, you would think that they're you can't mess them up. Yeah. But they're they're you know, they're so seemingly simple that like you can kind of they can kind of go awry. And so it just that's the great thing about those records that you produce with them, that they're so like they're just old 97s rock and roll. It's yeah. great. Well, thanks. I I really wanted to capture what they do live yeah. on a record. And I do think actually capturing rock and roll bands is a very, very difficult, sketchy proposition. It's, once the microphones are all... There's just something about the live experience that kind of gets lost. Sure. So there was a really elaborate process that we ended up adapting on Most Messed Up to, to ultimately capture a very simple thing. Did they play live all together or? They did, but what we ended up doing was, uh, I hope I'm not giving away too much, but but uh, we ended up building uh, monster Frankenstein comps. Oh yeah, So okay. basically we tracked the whole band live, including vocals. Yeah. And we would have, for example, nine takes of a song and we would comp the rhythm section first, only the live takes. And then then we'd move over to Rhett's acoustic and vocal. Uh, and and then we would move finally to Ken. Yeah. And at the end, you have all live. It's one it's full all live, live yeah. but it's not from one take. Yeah. And, and it was a pretty incredible way to, I think, to capture what they... Because the energy did. is all still there. Energy yeah. is all there. And there were things, little things that happened on certain takes that never happened again. Because mm -hmm. that's the other thing about them is 
I'm sure you know this working with people. There are some people that will play the same thing over and over yeah. again. A hundred times the same way. Yeah. They'll sing it a hundred times the same way. Yeah. Old 97s are not that band. Yeah. All four of them are equally <laughs> yeah. spontaneous. That's great. So, Which makes them so great live. It, it's what makes, yeah. yeah. But once you apply it to recording, it, it's like Ken would never play the same thing twice. Sure. And he plays something, I'd be like, I <laughs> do that He's again. Like, what, thing? what thing? I don't know. What are you talking about? So I just got to the point where we're recording at all times. Mm-hmm. Even even when he was fooling around, didn't know the song, mm-hmm. quite know the song, he would still play things that were like, oh, that's magic. Beautiful, yeah. Let's go grab that. That goes into the, the monster comp. That's great. So that's cool. Just, you know, that's really cool. You've been, you've, I mean, like you've talked about, you've been a, a producer for a long time. You've yeah. been in your own bands. You've played for other bands. Tell me now about the strangest gig you've ever played. <laughs> and I've explained this to other people. Strange doesn't always necessarily have to mean bad. I've played a few yeah. strange gigs that have been really awesome gigs. But, you know, the gig there where you 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 look up and you're like, how did I get here? Yeah. I'm, I think I'm going to kind of go... It's more strange than bad, but it, it was fraught. <laughs> it was, uh, I, what year was this? Sometime around maybe 2009. Because I remember my son, Gavin, was with, it was with Joe Reyes and I. And we had a gig way up in Frisco at like the, at where the FC soccer yeah, yeah. team plays. Right. <laughs> and the money was good. And we were supposed to play like in between... Uh, I don't even know how it was, but basically it was, it was such a strange and messed up gig. We, they set us up in this outdoor pavilion where people were buying snacks and stuff, but we were facing right into the sun Oh no! and it was something like June or July in Texas. Sun just right in your face. Yeah. And the they were supposed to turn off the the public address system while we were playing. <laughs> Not that anybody cared because yeah. we're playing acoustic duo originals. Yeah, like in a soccer stadium. Was it during a game? It was during a game. Okay, and but we so so someone would stand around with walkie talkie and go, okay, go play, and you'd play like only like three songs or something, and then they then they'd cut you off. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you did it for like two hours. So you're standing around in the blazing heat. But the problem is they weren't shutting off the public address system. Oh, no. So I I remember distinctly Journey's Don't Stop Believing <laughs> is like blasting over the, the stadium PA while I'm singing, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't think of what's going on. Yeah, it's an and interesting my, mashup. And my son was there, and it, it was just like, what are we doing? What is this? Why did someone decide that this was a good idea? Why is someone paying us to do this? Like, what That's is it great. contributing? It's always the... great when you show up to the, these gigs and you're like, did they really want musicians? Like, did, they must yeah. have not thought it through because they clearly no. didn't want anybody. Well, and they just couldn't get the PA to, they couldn't shut off the public address system. 
it happened over and over and over and it kept being journey yeah <laughs> which also brought me back sent me reeling back to my childhood days in El Paso and classic rock and I'd sort of journey was one of the bands I really targeted at the time when I was young I got over it as a grew yeah. up of course but like it really took me back to being like nine and hating journey and <laughs> and like here I am I'm in a soccer stadium Damn and that journey <laughs> is 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 just dwarfing us ruining things again <laughs> yeah so that's great <laughs> another horrible show was uh in strange was way 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 back to the uh the dragon street records days in the early 90s uh, we were in a my brother and i had a band called the moon festival mm -hmm. which was actually influenced by the church because steve kilby had a, a song on a solo record that i loved called my birthday in the moon festival yeah it's a better song than we were banned <laughs> but we were cutting our teeth and we were still trying to figure out who we were yeah and we had this uh tour to the west coast the, that we did which is also the beginning of my my brother's well documented well documented battle with agoraphobia mm. and social anxiety and he withdrew from performing years yeah. ago it was sort of in retrospect the beginning of that because we ended up canceling more shows than we actually played because yeah. ferris would get to town and go oh, like in san francisco like this is sketchy they're gonna we're going to lose all our equipment. They are going to steal our band. We need to move <laughs> yeah. on to the next gig. Yeah, yeah. And then there'd be an insurrection. We'd move on to the next gig. Yeah. So I, I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, sure, sure. but anyway, we played uh, in a, in a venue, a venue air quotes in Las Cruces, New Mexico, yeah. which is just about 45 minutes West of our hometown, El Paso. And my brother had this sixties Vox amplifier that he had paid a lot of money for and really hard to fix and we were set up in front of a fireplace okay and that looked kind of like you were just in someone's living room yeah i think maybe there were three people there three of my brother's high school friends yeah no one there it wasn't even a venue there was no stage and we were a band that was sort of like at the time trying to be like the mission uk or yeah. something like we we had a fog machine and long, <laughs> long hair. Yeah. And it was all about like not being real. It was all about the fantasy. Sure. And so here we are just like in some 15 by 15 room with a yeah. fireplace. <laughs> and my brother's Vox blows up. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, like it, fire? Like it exploded. Yeah, yeah. that's great. <laughs> And and then we had the whole rest of the tour ahead of us to like oh, no. go to California, and then it became this whole thing where he had to, to him and the guitar player Tommy, who now has a great guitar shop by the way, uh, Tone Shop Guitars. In yes, Edison. yeah. Tommy Ramos was in the Moon Festival. Okay, well, a lot I of people know that. don't know yeah. that. And uh, Tommy and him, you know, they they had this whole debacle uh, on the tour of trying to get Ferris's amp fixed and i think eventually he just sold it and yeah. ditched it and got another amp but <laughs> but this show in cruises was just just awful still That's remember great. it oh, yeah. i love it <laughs> yeah so tell me now about tell me now about your dream gig and that can be like dream oh, yeah dream venue dream build dream act to produce 
Well, whatever that means to you. Well, my dream gig used to be, I did this theater tour when I was in the Travolta's a band I had with Paul Slavens with the old 97s. It's been, been about 10 years now where we played all these really cold, cool old theaters mm-hmm. like the Granada, yeah. kind of like the equivalent of the Granada in every major yeah, city. And with the band, that's a dream gig. Like, yeah. Cool old theater, just that's that's totally where it's at. They're not none of them are big enough to where it feels too big. Crowd's and, still pretty close. Yeah, still pretty close. And but as far as non-band shows, I've come to really enjoy stripped-down shows, duo shows, and acoustic shows or I, now I'm playing as a duo with Paul Slavens. Yeah. We're doing a lot of Travolta's music. Now my dream show is, is actually what inspired me to start my own little house concert series at, at galactic headquarters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and cause it's only like 30 people. It's, you know, just super casual. Sometimes you don't even need a PA. Yeah. And, and that's what we're doing New Year's Eve with Marty Wilson Piper, that's by great. the way. So, yeah. so that is totally my dream gig now. That's great. It's just, just little, little shows. That's great. It's so fun. Well, Salim, thank you so much for coming yeah, on. This has been you, really, really great. How can people find out about you and what's going on? Uh, well, the hardest part is spelling my name. <laughs> <laughs> so Spell it uh, for the people then. Spell it? Well, they can Google S-A-L-I-M. N O U R A L L A H. Perfect. Which, which I have to say, Arabic name, uh, Salim is, uh, well, Nor Allah, mm-hmm. Nor is the light of God. Yeah. And Salim is the truth. There you go. So just think about the truth of the light of God the and you know, look God. up the Arabic w- words or whatever. That's perfect. That's yeah. great. com. Yeah. Great. That's great, man. Thank you so much for Thank being you. on. This has been, this has been so great getting to chat with you. Thanks a ton, man. All right, there he goes, the great Salim Nurallah. Many thanks to Salim for stopping by. Y'all, please be sure to check out what he's got going on, salimnurallah.com. Be on the lookout for his album, A Nuclear Winter, which I promise you is incredible, and you're going to want to hear it. It comes out in May. As always, please support your artist, buy their merch, go to their shows. It's the best way you can tell them you love them. You've been listening to The Strangest Gig Podcast, and I'm your host, Chris J. Norwood. I want to thank you for tuning in. Hope you'll follow us on Instagram at the strangest gig. There you will be able to find out when the newest episodes drop and hope you'll also again, tell your friends, spread the word. I'd much appreciate it. So until the next time, if you find yourself at a gig, trying to compete with journey over the loudspeaker system, hope you'll remember, Hey, gigs, a gig, right? <laughs>